Hey, good morning, everyone. How you doing this morning? Good. Well, hey, it is uh, good to be with you here as uh, Michael introduced me. My name is JD. I'm the new associate pastor. Been here for almost a month now and uh, just kind of getting settled in. I'm excited to be able to share with you this morning. But you know what it's like whenever you, ha you get in front of a group of people and you have to speak, how it can be a little bit nerve-wracking and you get a little bit nervous and things like that. So this past week, to help ease some of the tension, I asked Michael if he would be willing to sit and just listen to my message as I was, you know, being, practicing and getting ready for this, this weekend. And so I delivered my message to him, and he said, got great news for you. Your content is both original and good. I didn't have the heart to tell him, but the bad news was that the parts that he thought were good weren't original, and the parts that were original weren't very good, but I hope to do better today. So, hey, we've uh, been in a series called All the Places to Go. You heard John Ortberg, who wrote the book, All the Places to Go. It's all about figuring out uh, what God wants to do uh, and God's will for our lives. And specifically, we've been talking a lot about open doors and how what an amazing life we can have whenever we are willing to follow God's lead and step through a door and how fulfilling and adventurous it can be scary, but how fun it can be whenever we walk through the doors that God has placed in our lives. But what about the doors that God puts, that we ask God to open and he doesn't? What about whenever we have closed doors in our lives, and all we want is for God to open a specific door for us, and it feels like he's silent. Today, I want to share with you a little bit about my story over the past eight months and my journey of experiencing some closed doors, and I hope to share with you a little bit about what I've learned along the way. But before we do that, I want to, I want to point us to a scripture. It's in Revelation chapter 2, verse 7, and it says, what God opens... No one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. That's a pretty powerful statement. What God opens, no one can shut, and what God shuts, no one can open. You know, never had an issue with that verse before. I've always enjoyed, you know, reading bits, of, you know, parts of the Bible like this where it's like an absolute statement. Unless you're stuck behind a door that you didn't want God to close, and he decides to close it anyway. You know, I, I believe that the number one demotivator for people in their lives when it comes to their spiritual walk with God. The number one reason why people walk away from their faith or lose their faith is because they ask for God to open a door, but instead they get something that looks a little something like this. A closed door. A closed door. For example, someone prays that they find the right person in their life, and that person never comes. Or somebody wrestles with depression, and they ask God to lift their depression but it doesn't lift. Or somebody gets horribly wronged, some sort of injustice occurs in their life and all they want is justice, but justice doesn't seem to come. There are few things in our life that are more discouraging than closed doors. In the book, John Ortberg, he writes this, there are many closed doors I still don't like and would kick in if I could. Is there anybody here that would kick in some closed doors in your life? That's what I'm talking about. You know exactly what I mean. You see, I believe that the number one reason why people walk away from their faith, they get heartened, disillusioned, build up resentment, bitterness, whatever it is toward God. The reason why people, some people had a, a walk with God and now all of a sudden they're as far from him as they could possibly be is because of one thing. I believe it's because they pray for God to open a door and for some reason, whatever it is, God decides to prepare a closed door and they get frustrated and it becomes very, very disheartening. 
Maybe it's because they had a conversation with a friend who tried to, to give them some promises that, that God has for them, and they, and they believe in what that person's saying, or maybe they come to a church service and they hear you know, a pastor talk about a certain verse or chapters you know, that where God promises certain things to open doors for us. You know, or, or maybe they open up a Bible and they read some passages in Scripture, and it seems abundantly clear that God should answer their prayer for an open door in a very predictable, very loving way. But he doesn't. That is frustrating. I want to read to you some uh, verses that are promises from God, yet whenever you're stuck behind a closed door, they can be downright frustrating. We'll start with Psalm 107.6. Sounds like a radio station. You're listening to Psalm 107.6. Here's what it says. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. Psalm 34, 15. Excuse me, 34, 5. The righteous cry, and the Lord does what? He hears. He delivers them out of some of their troubles? No. He delivers them out of all of their troubles. Matthew 21, 22. You can pray for anything, and if you have faith, all you have to do is have a little bit of faith. You'll receive it. Isaiah 65, 24, before they call, I, God, will answer. While they are still speaking, I will hear. Jesus, in Matthew, says this, Matthew 7, verses 7 through 8. He says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and he who knocks, it will be opened. It seems so cut and dry sometimes. In the book, Ortberg jokingly says, yeah, but Jesus never told us which door to knock at. <laughs> never said how long we should knock, or even if we're knocking at the right door. So today I want to share with you some things that I believe we can learn, learn from the closed doors in our life. I believe that the big question we have to ask is, what can God teach us behind the closed doors in our lives? Because, like I said, I believe the number one reason why people lose their faith is because of closed doors. And if you don't mind, I'd like to share with you a little bit of my story over the past eight months, where I saw God close some doors in my life, and I'd like to share them with you because I believe that the most powerful way we can share what God is doing in our lives is just to share our story and what he can do, hopefully, in someone else's life so people can learn some things that's going on in, the, in, in one person's life so it can pass on to the next. But I also believe this, that you cannot build, God, build God's reputation unless you're willing to risk your own. So I want to share with you my story of some closed doors. Um, the last six years, I've been at a church up in Ohio, amazing church. God is clearly at work at this place, a multi-site church, over 4,000 people a weekend. People's lives are being changed. They're connecting with other people. We're, we're making a difference in the world around us, in the community, and around the world. This place is making headway for the kingdom of God. And I felt like I was a major component of that, of the church, and I was making a difference in my world. Well, in all organizations, as they continue to grow and change and all that kind of thing, organizational changes occur, and I found myself in an office sitting across from a guy who said, J.D., we love you. We believe you're called to ministry. We believe you have some, some talent and, and gifts and skills and stuff that are clearly going to be used for God's kingdom. We just don't think it's here. 
And immediately I thought about the fact that my wife was two months away from having our baby girl. And this huge door felt like it slammed in my face and I couldn't believe it. I was totally shocked, completely caught off guard at what was going on. And the next months were a series, a roller coaster ride of me asking God questions like, What in the world are you doing? What am I supposed to do right now? What is it that you're trying to teach me? In fact, I even found myself in a situation, I have a picture of it. I was always on the side of the table where I was helping people where I felt significant and I was able to help people and connect them with other people who could help them or connect them with resources. This is a picture of me at the Ohio Job and Family Services desk filling out a form for food stamps. I never, ever thought that would be me. And yet here I am with a young family. We're away from our immediate family, our parents, my parents, Susan's parents. And I'm trying to figure this out. And all of a sudden I find myself in a situation where I don't know what to do. And I'm just like, somebody please help me. God, please open a door. What are you doing? Why are you being so silent? Why now? What in the world is going on? And I couldn't figure it out. So I want to share with you some things that I've learned that I believe God can teach us behind closed doors, some things that I learned personally, and I hope that they can be a help to you as well. But these are a few things that I believe God can teach us, and he taught me behind closed doors. The first thing is this. God can teach us about our view of him. He can teach us about our view of him. A.W. Tozer wrote that the most important thing about us is our view of God. In other words, how you view God, how small or how big you view God is going to determine your behavior because your beliefs, what you believe about God always determines your behavior and how you're going to live out your life. And I was about to see my view of God in this situation where it seemed like a door closed. There was a story in the Old Testament about a prophet by the name of Elijah. Elijah is this guy who has incredible faith, amazing man of God. In fact, one time he was the last prophet of God who was alive. All the other prophets had been killed off. And God sends him to this group of people who was worshiping a false god. And so Elijah, in full faith, goes to these people and he says, here's what we're going to do. Let's have, a little, let's have a little challenge here. We'll have a little contest. You guys pray to your God and I'll pray to mine. And whichever God sends down fire from heaven, that will be the God that we worship. How about that? I mean, you want to talk about a guy whose perspective of God was huge. So they agree to this and so they both build an altar, okay? And they sacrifice a bull on each altar and Elijah's like, you know, ladies first, you guys go. And uh, so... And so he's like, okay, go ahead and pray. So they, these people pray morning and afternoon. They're doing all sorts of crazy stuff. They're praying. And Elijah is so confident that his God is going to do the right thing. He starts to mock them. He starts to say like, stuff like, maybe your God is sleeping, you know? Maybe he needs to turn his hearing aid up. Maybe if you just yell a little bit louder, maybe, God will send, maybe your God will send down fire from heaven. You know, I don't know what's going on. Maybe he's out to lunch. I'm not sure. And so he has so much confidence in who his God is that he's making fun of these other people. Finally, these other folks, they give up. And Elijah's like, okay, you guys ready for this? And they're like, yeah. He's like, let me pray to my God. 
and let me show you how strong and powerful and big my God is. And he prays a prayer, and I want to read it to you. It comes from 1 Kings chapter 18. Remember that it comes from chapter 18, because we're going to look at chapter 19 in just a second. 1 Kings chapter 18, 37. This is what Elijah prays to God. He said, answer me, Lord, answer me. So these people will know that you, Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. And the minute he prays, fire comes screaming down from heaven and it engulfs this entire sacrifice, not just the bull, but also the the wood and the stones and the water that he had the people dump water on because he wanted to seal the deal that he wasn't, there was no trickery going on with this whole thing. And he has them and all of a sudden, all these people that were worshiping this other God, they fall on their face and they say, the Lord is God, your Lord is God. And Elijah's like, yeah, yeah, I told you. Imagine being there that day. Imagine the faith that this guy must have had. That was in chapter 18. What's ironic about Elijah, and I found myself in a very similar situation when a door closed on me, is Elijah finds himself in the very next chapter where he's having to run for his life because he ticks off the queen for what he did. And so she sends um, a bounty out on him, says basically, by this time tomorrow, you're going to be dead. You're going to be dead. And um, this is a guy who just literally called fire down from heaven, okay? In the very next chapter, this is what we read about Elijah because he's running for his life. It says in 1 Kings 19, 3 through 4, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life, and he went a day's journey into the wilderness. Then he came to a broom bush, completely different than a mop bush, by the way. He sat down under it, and he prayed what? That he might die. Just take me, God. He says, I've had enough. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. This is a guy who just before he was in front of a group of people like you, it'd be like me versus you. You guys are all worshiping a false God. I'm worshiping, you know, the one true God and me taunting you and making fun of you and having complete confidence that, I, that my God's going to take control over my life. And then in the very next chapter, he's like, God, I don't know what to do. God, I, 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 don't, I don't know if I can trust you anymore. Just take my life, God. I don't even want to do this anymore. This guy's faith went from this to this. Very, very small. And I'll tell you that in my life, when that door closed at my last church, my perspective of God, there were times, man, where I saw God do amazing things in and through my life. He allowed me to be a part of stuff that I never dreamed of being a part of before. And yet here I was, whenever he closes a door, and all of a sudden all of my life that had been built on God showing himself faithful to me over and over and over again, now all of a sudden I wasn't sure that I could trust him. And my view of God, which I thought was like this, ended up being like this. And I began to question if God really was good, if God really could open doors, or if he wasn't strong enough to do that. As I look back now, there were some prayers that I prayed during that season of my life that were way too small, that showed that my view of God was way too small. And the very thing that I learned was that God was trying to teach me about my view of him. That's the first thing I want you to remember. The second thing I believe that God can teach us behind closed doors is he can teach us patience. I, 
I've learned over the course of my life that patience is not one of my finest virtues. <laughs> I don't know if there's anybody else here that's slightly impatient, likes things happen faster than everybody else. Um, but I was one of those people. I remember hearing a story from my parents a time when I was four years old. It was a Sunday morning, a hot summer morning. Um, we were getting ready for church, and they got me ready, and they were still getting ready uh, for church. And they said um, it, there was a, a sprinkler out in our front yard. I love the sprinkler. I love to run through the sprinkler, just like all four-year-olds love to run through sprinklers. And they said, to, they saw it in my eye, and they said, J.D., under no circumstances do you go out and run through that sprinkler. You have to wait until after church, and then we'll put your play clothes on, and you can run through the sprinkler. Well, the only part that I heard was, don't get your clothes wet. And so I did what any logical four-year-old would do. I stripped down completely naked, and I'm running through the sprinkler for the world to see. And, and my parents come out, and they're like, you have got to be kidding me. That shows the amount of patience that you have. Remember, I was four, not 14, okay? So don't, don't make this all weird. <laughs> you know, there was a point during this last season of my life where all I wanted was to hear from God. All I wanted to know was that there was a door that was going to open sometime soon. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation like that, but you're asking God to answer you, and it's like it feels like he's doing one of these, and he's not listening to you, and you desperately want him, and it feels like he's not listening. Well, what I eventually learned during this last season of my life was that God was giving me the opportunity to practice the very thing that I needed the most, which was patience. There's a great quote in the, in the movie from Evan Almighty. It's uh, by Morgan Freeman, who plays the part of God. And he says this, and it stuck with me. He says, let me ask you something. If someone prays for patience, do you think God gives them patience? Or does he give them the opportunity to be patient? God was in the process of giving me the opportunity to learn patience. Does anybody else here ever realize that God very seldom works on our timeline? Very seldom does he do what we think he's going to do when we think he's going to do it. And that's why he's God and I'm not. But our tendency is to try and make something happen faster than God intends for it to happen. That, that reminds me of a story. Um, a couple weeks ago, my wife... She asked me to go to the grocery store and pick up some things at the grocery store. And one of the things on the list was to pick up some pears. And uh, she asked me, in, in parentheses, it said soft pears. Like, make sure that they're soft. And the reason is because we have a two-year-old son, loves pears, but can't eat the, you know, the harder pears. Well, I didn't realize that there was, like, a bunch of different types of pears. So I get there, and I'm just like, holy cow, there's, like, a whole variety. You're reading, I'm reading descriptions. I never learned more about pears than in that trip. So I come home, and I, and I bring the pears home. I think I found the right thing. It looked really good. It looked, looked like a ripe pear. Next day, I'm here at the church, and I'm talking to my wife on the phone, and I hear in the background, our son goes, Mommy, this pear is yucky. And, uh, and so she takes a bite of it, and she's like, Oh, my goodness, this is the hardest pear I've ever had in my entire life. It's like eating a brick. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I thought I had, I thought I had a soft pear. It's, you know, my fault. So a couple days later, I'm at home, and I see um, the pear sitting on the counter. And uh, I go, and I'm like, I'm not going to let him go to waste. And so I go, and I take a bite of it. Literally the juiciest pear I had ever tasted in my entire life. And I'm like, what are you talking about, woman? This is like the softest pear I've ever, I've ever had. And what I realized was that though it looked ripe from the outside, it needed a few days, it needed a little time until it was juicy on the inside. Sometimes God can teach us patience that though we think we're ready for something, 
We're not quite ready. And he's teaching us patience. There's a story in the Bible about a guy by the name of Joseph. In the Old Testament, he's the guy who had the amazing technicolor dream coat. Maybe you've seen the musical. Um, but basically, this guy has a, a story of, of a guy who's, whose life is full of closed doors in his life. Um, God clearly had his hand over his, on, on this guy's uh, life, but he found himself in a really tough situation. In this particular part that I want to talk about, he is in prison and he has the ability to interpret people's dreams. And so what happens is he uh, tells these two guys who have these dreams, hey, let me, let me interpret your dreams for you. The one guy in particular, he's a cupbearer for, for Pharaoh, okay? Pharaoh's the, the, you know, he's the man. He, he's the most powerful person in the world. And so Joseph's like, hey, I'm about to tell you some good news. Things are going to go well for you. You're going to be put back into your position of power. And when they get, whenever things go well for you, do me a favor, Mention me to Pharaoh. So exactly like it worked, exactly like Joseph explained it, things go perfectly for the cupbearer. Now the cupbearer, by the way, just so you know, cupbearer to Pharaoh, his responsibility was to drink whatever the Pharaoh was drinking to make sure that there was no poison in it. Fantastic job. As long as there's no poison, right? So anyway, so he goes back to his job and the Bible says that even though Joseph really helped him out, the cupbearer forgets this forgets Joseph in jail. Two full years pass. That is 24 months. That is 730 days go by, and Joseph hears nothing. Then finally, after what seemed like a long time to him, God opens a door. Pharaoh has a dream. No one can interpret it. All of a sudden, the cupbearer has a light bulb go off, and he says, Pharaoh, I remember the last time you threw me in prison and uh, we were talking about you, but don't worry, good things, they're all, all good things. And uh, there was this guy who interpreted my dream, maybe he could help you out. And so just like it was like nothing happened and then all of a sudden everything happens for Joseph. And, and he, he goes before Pharaoh, they pull him out of jail, he goes before Pharaoh, he interprets this dream and bang, 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 he becomes second in command over all of Egypt, the most powerful man and then him. And he gets this incredible place, to this incredible place because we learn that later he was going to need what he learned in prison and all throughout his life, which was patience. Because he was going to be the overseer of how to manage the, the money and the food and the resources that Egypt had as they were about to go through the greatest famine they had ever experienced. And so we see that God uses the patience that Joseph practiced during that time in his life. Sometimes God closes doors to teach you and me patience. The third thing that I believe God can teach us behind closed doors is that he is getting us ready for something big. It's to get us ready for something big. Ortberg talks about the story of a young man who came from a poor background and all he wanted was a better life for he and his family than the one he had growing up. So he saved all he could and then he goes deeply into debt in order to open up this tiny little grocery store. 
The problem was that his um, counterpart, his, the, the guy that he was partnering with, had a terrible alcohol problem, and things go terribly for them, and they end up going so far into debt, they have to shut the thing down, and this guy actually says that um, his debt was similar to what he would consider the national debt. It was, he was so far in the hole. So he had to shut the grocery store down, and he gave up on ever being a successful businessman. Took him a decade to get out of debt. Finally he does, he goes into law, and then he goes into politics. And in 1860, Abraham Lincoln was elected president of the United States. What a tragedy it would have been, not only for him, but for an entire nation, if the doors of that little grocery store hadn't closed. God was using a time of a closed door to prepare him for something big. See, God knows the qualities and the strength of character we need to be able to handle what he has for us whenever a door does open. And for that, he allows us to pass through difficult times. All the waiting, all the hardships, all, all the closed, the stuff we, we deal with behind the closed doors are intended to help and shape and mold us to be more like Christ and to prepare us for something that God has for us that's bigger than we could ever imagine. I truly believe that the hardships we encounter, whether it's a result of our shortcomings, whether it's a result of even our sin, whatever it is, if, it's a reason, if the reason is because God is testing our faith, whatever the reason, I believe what it says in Romans 8, 28 is true. That in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. That in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. That in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Man, what an incredible promise that is. That God could somehow use closed doors in our life to prepare us for something big. I truly believe, I had no idea whenever I took that picture of me with the food stamps and, you know, filling out the form and stuff like that, I had no idea that today I would have the opportunity to stand in front of you and, and kind of see what it looked like on the other end of the, of the closed door and see God open a door, and I believe that that's why I'm here today. I believe that God opened this door and has blessed me with an incredible opportunity for something big in a way that I can help impact and help bless and help just serve people in this community and in this church, but I didn't realize it back then, but I did realize that there were lots of hardships, that there were lots of difficulties, and now looking back, I could see that God was at work. But let me ask you something. I just mentioned that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, which is great, right? But let me ask you something. In your life, maybe you have a door that you feel like needs a deeper explanation. You might be like, JD, man, I, I really appreciate you sharing with me your story and being vulnerable and all that kind of stuff, but the door or the doors that I've had shut in my face, you have no idea. And you're right, I don't. And it doesn't make sense. But as I close, can I share with you a promise that can be found behind every single closed door? There's a promise behind every closed door that if we understand this, at least we'll have some understanding of why God closes certain doors and they, and they never open or they don't open within our timeline. There was a point 
right before Jesus was about to go to the cross, and he's meeting with his disciples. And he says to his disciples, in a little while, you will see me no more. And then, after a little while, you will see me again. At this point, some of his disciples said to one another, what does he mean, in a little while? We will see you no more. And then after a little while, we will see you again. And they kept going on. We don't understand what he means. Throughout the scriptures, we see the disciples ask all sorts of questions. Why can't we do this? Why can't we do that? What, what about this, Jesus? Explain this better. Explain this in more detail. And sometimes it seems like they're thick-headed, right? But deep underneath their question is the same exact question that you have. And it's the same exact question that I have. And the question is this. God, why? Why? Why does that little boy who's six years old have to have a brain tumor? God, why does an earthquake have to ruin and wreck an entire city? And even as I speak today, there are people buried under rubble right now who are suffocating. God, why? God, it doesn't make sense. Why did my marriage, I tried so hard, why did my marriage have to crumble underneath me? Why did my child run away from me or from their faith? God, why do I have to have this crippling depression and I pray that you would lift it from me over and over and over again, but you don't, and it doesn't lift, and I can't figure out why. God, why? But the night that Jesus goes before the cross, he makes this incredible promise to his disciples, and I wanna read it to you, and this is the promise that can be found behind all closed doors. It says, so with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice. And this next part is huge. And no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Here's what he's saying. Jesus is like, my friends, let me tell you something. Things are gonna be bad for a little bit. Stuff's gonna happen that doesn't make sense. You're gonna see some terrible things. You're gonna see cancer, and you're gonna see war, and you're gonna see hatred, and you're gonna see injustice, and you're gonna see bodies being crippled by stuff they should never be crippled by. And it's gonna be bad, and there's gonna be betrayal, and there's gonna be abuse, and you're gonna see violation in this world. But let me tell you something, in a little while, and it might seem like a long time to you, but I promise you this, when you look at it in terms of eternity, it'll only be a little while. I'm coming back, Jesus says, and I'm gonna make it all right. I'm gonna fix this broken world. I'm gonna use the stuff that's happening in your life that you can't make sense of. And I'm going to show you I, that I can make all things new. And my promise to you is this. Joy will eventually win. Joy will eventually win. Someday, somehow, in some way, none of us can understand. We will be as grateful for the closed doors in our lives 
as we are for the open ones now. And that's hard to understand and it's hard to comprehend, but there is a promise that Jesus made to his disciples and he's making to us today. And there will come a day that Jesus says, you will have no more questions. In other words, it will all make sense. It will become clear. Right now it's not clear. Right now it doesn't make sense. But there's gonna come a day when sin and guilt and pain and suffering and death is all gonna be defeated. Jesus makes this promise. It's all gonna go away. There's gonna be a day when it's gonna make sense and I'm gonna make you new and I'm gonna make your hurt and your pain go away and it's all gonna be good. And when is that gonna happen? Well, Jesus tells us just a little while, in just a little while. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you for today. Thank you for the closed doors in our lives. God, I pray that you would allow us to see that sometimes you're teaching us patience, sometimes you're preparing us for something big. God, that sometimes you just want us to understand better about our view of you so that we can have more faith and understand that you are who you say you are and you're gonna do what you promised to do. But that some things we'll never know this side of heaven. Some things we just have to be patient and we have to wait and then at some point when you come back, you're gonna make it all new and all right and we won't have any more questions. It will all make sense and we'll see that you had a plan somehow in some way that we can't even fathom right now. We thank you for your faithfulness and we pray that we too would be faithful. Thank you, Father. It's in your name I pray.